say men and women really talking, but our strapline is where men really talk because this is what we want. I don't like the phrase safe space because I think it's... Sorry, Luke, too millennial. But I do like the phrase which I prefer and I used to coin, which I coined, which is a non-judgmental space. Luke, is that okay, Mr. That's millennial? I'm good, I'm, if, if you're just joining us, Luke is, is producing the show and he's 21. So he's, you're a millennial. No, well, just... The, not, you're not, not a millennial. No, I'm what, two what years you, out. So what are you now? What are you? Um, one of those. I think it's Z, Z, X X Gen or Z Gen or something. I don't really know. I don't really keep up with it all. Do you? X. No, I Z try and avoid it like the plague, but I haven't got, really got a choice. Uh, my thanks to our our, our guest, uh, uh, Tom Pollard, who was absolutely fascinating. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Anyone who comes out of Parliament in one piece gets my vote. And Elaine Powney, Director of Premier Care Training. She's gone dashing off now to go and get some lunch. And uh, she was very sweet. She wanted to stay. And I said, no, it's all right. Go and have your lunch. Now, I'm looking forward to this um, because it comes under the aegis of well-being uh, books. And on the line now, well, down through the wonders of Skype. Uh, hello, Sharon Hart Green. Are you there? Great to be on your show. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, I, I'm gathering, or the fact I can just about hear um, you, I gather you're not round the corner. No, I'm in Canada. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. How fantastic. All right, obvious question. What's the time in Toronto, Canada? Because it's just gone it's, two o'clock. It's two minutes past two here in London. Oh, it's, it's morning. It's 9 a.m. Oh, well, you sound very perky for 9 a.m. 9 a.m. for me is well, middle of the night, so... <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much. I have one uh, terrible confession. I'm going to get it out of the way before we start talking about your your terrific book. Uh, I, w I went to Toronto on business many years ago, right? Yeah. And the dinner was at the top of one of the towers. And I went to, oh, the, I went to the loo, came back, and I thought, my God, I'm in an Alfred Hitchcock film because everybody had changed. I couldn't find my table. Uh, I didn't realize it was a revolving tower. Oh, yes. <laughs> it must have been the CN Tower. It was the CN Tower, and I have <laughs> never forgotten. I was uh, some some wine had been imbibed. I've got to be honest with you, Sharon. Some <laughs> there had been some wine, but I did not. I, it freaked me out. And then yes. when I sat down, I put my briefcase in the days when I had a briefcase down, and of course part of the restaurant revolves and part of it strange. So I went down to get my briefcase. The briefcase had disappeared because we were still revolving. <laughs> that's my that, Toronto was very very nice it's, it's very oh, nice so you are can I'm I, I'm assuming you are Canadian yes can't you tell from my accent well you haven't said the words about yet if I hear you say the word about and root <laughs> then I'll know but otherwise yes, it could uh, you could be familiar with. although I did live in the US for eight years so mm -hmm. I think I've acquired a little bit of an of an American accent but you got to but Sharon you got to understand for us it just all sounds North American it's very hard for us to tell if you're Canadian it's like and people get very annoyed if it's Australian or New Zealand it sounds exactly the same to us yes it sounds the to same. me too yeah. yes right where were you living in uh, in the US by the way in Boston oh nice no, I've got a cousin. Yes. I've got cousins who live in Boston, and they 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 love it. It's a it's a nice part of the world, isn't it? Very very. It's lovely. It yes, nice. and I was a student there. I mean, it was a long time ago. It's I did my um, undergrad and graduate work there. Right, and you enjoyed it. 
Yes, okay. yes. It now, was a beautiful city now, to now live if in. If people want to follow you on Twitter, and explain why this is, because it confused me, but then I'm an idiot. Agnonia, A-G-N-O-N-I-A. It's at Agnonia. That's your Twitter handle. What, what is that? Yes. About? What's that? Okay. Um, I did my doctoral dissertation on the work of the Hebrew novelist uh, Shmuel Yosef Agnon. Ah, okay. And, Beginning uh, to make sense. consider myself a... a follower in a certain sense of the work of Agnon. So I, I decided just for fun to um, take on his name, but I called it Agnonia. I invented the name. That's quite cerebral, isn't it? That is quite cerebral. Let's be honest about it. It's what? Quite I couldn't hear you. Quite, it's quite cerebral. Oh. <laughs> to do, to do, it's... Yes, you would say cerebral. Oh, well, if you want to mispronounce it, Sharon, be my guest. <laughs> Bloody North Americans, come over here taking our jobs. Right, so, okay, I, I love that. It, it's a little bit of uh, intellectualism, which we like. And because we're a commercial radio station, Sharon, I like you to plug everything. So before we get into the meat of our conversation, on Facebook, sure. your facebook.com forward slash heart green author. Heart is H-A-R-T, green yes. author, all one word, so we can find her. Like you can find me, Sharon, by the way, on Russ Kane author on Facebook, if you were interested. Oh. Okay. I will look for you. I'll, I will friend you. Oh, please do. I think we have slightly different ways of writing, considering you haven't got people with, with, with sharp teeth murdering people coming back from the dead. <laughs> but, no. Not that, yet. That, not, not yet. No. I haven't ventured into that into no. the horror genre yet. You know what, Sharon? i I got to digress just for 10 seconds. I started out the book, The Gatekeeper. It was a comedy book. And all the publishers yeah. said, yeah, love it. Love the comedy. It's hilarious. Um... Could you make it less funny and take the jokes out? <laughs> oh, no. And I ended up from a comedy book. I scrapped twenty thousand words, literally threw them away, and wrote them a horror book. That's what they wanted. That's oh, what they got. That's what they wanted. That's yep. what sells, I guess. Uh, well, who knows? I'm super. I, 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 I'm very proud of it. I, I'm happy people seem to love it, but I still want to do my comedy. Now, talk us through yeah. your your book because this is a really, really interesting plot and dynamic. Oh, well, thank you. I'm reading reading the synopsis. Um, Yes. It always makes me laugh. I did uh, 12 back-to-back BBC interviews when my book came out, right? And you could always tell the people who had read the PR brief and the people who thought, oh, Christ, who's on my show now? And they hadn't the faint... They hadn't even picked up the piece of paper that gave a synopsis in like four four lines. Yeah, I mean, and I've been in the radio game rather a long time. Don't try and fake me out. Right. Let's talk about this great plot. Talk us through it. Okay. Well, the plot, it has two streams to it. It's a story of two Jewish characters. One is a young Holocaust survivor named Arthur Mandelkorn, who survives the war and goes in search of his sister, whom he believes is still alive. They were separated during the war. Right. Um, he was very young when the war um when he was caught up in the war, when the Nazis invaded Hungary, he was only 14, his sister was 12, and he is convinced that his sister is still alive, and his search takes him through parts of Europe and then to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, interwoven with Arthur's story is a story that takes place in the 1960s in Canada, and it's about a young Jewish woman named Susie Cohn, who's also... Which is K-O-H-N. Fairly- 
K-O-H-N, a variant of Cohen. Cohen, right, okay. Yeah. And she is um, undergoing a kind of trauma of her own, not comparable to what Arthur is undergoing, but yet she is undergoing the um, shock of hearing that her beloved uncle has just died at a very young age, in his late 30s. Uh, and this uncle had been like a second father to her. And there are all these secrets surrounding his death, and her parents um, don't really want to talk about it, and her uncle is also a Holocaust survivor. So you can see that there is a link between the two stories, although you do not know what that link is. And as you read further into the novel, you start to see there's a connection between these two characters and these two stories. And, um, you know, I won't give away too much more because... Oh, go on! No, no. <laughs> spoiler too alert, spoiler too alert. And then, Bobby, like, and then Bobby came out the shower. It was all a dream. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's a well, fantastic story. And, oh, well, thank you. you. And, and, and allow uh, me to do you the honour, because you haven't even mentioned the title of the book, which is Come Back For Me. Come Back For yeah. Me. See. Yes, come back for me. Some people make a mistake and call it come back to me. But no, it's come back for me. Hmm. And um, it it the title is actually taken from a line, a very significant line in the in the plot itself. But it resonates on different levels. So that coming back, the whole idea of coming back works on various levels for a number of the characters, not even just the two characters who are the main protagonists, but it um, is meaningful on many levels. But again, I don't want to go into that. Uh, for one thing, as someone who's also worked as a literary critic, I don't want to analyze my own work because I'm sure that there are things that others would say about it that are probably more accurate. We and, will be the um, judge of that, Sharon. We will be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I don't want to give away the plot. You know, I I know there are a lot of people who hate spoilers, so I'm hoping that people will read it. It's been doing really well. Yep. And um, how do people get now? I, because I I like to blatantly plug stuff because I think if you've gone to the time and trouble of writing a book, damn it, we want to know how to get it. So how do people get it? Okay, well, it is available in bookstores in North America. Whether it's available in the UK, I don't know. In we, have, we have a thing over here. I, you probably not heard it. Amazon. It, do you ever heard of it? Have you ever heard of it? It's the most reliable source. Amazon, it's definitely on Amazon. Okay. And um, it's on a lot of other sites. Um, you know, all the usual book sites. Oh, what, um, what are those? What are those? He said with a slightly personal interest in the answer. <laughs> I only know Amazon. So my book's on Amazon. That's kind of it. Well, no, that is it. Uh, uh, you know, there's one that has free shipping all over the world, but I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. You are useless, but... Sharon. I you know, isn't that terrible? Blooming guest. Here, What's the point? It's only nine in the morning. You come on to our show and you can't tell me how to get my book for sale. What's the point? <laughs> What's the point of this conversation? Right. So, okay. So it's on the side. If you do know, let me let, let me know. It's worth a coffee if you come to London. So, um, okay. What gave you the idea for writing the book? I, I'm just fascinated by the creative process. And the reason I'm shoehorning you into the show, because people might say, wait a minute, you're meant to be discussing mental health and well-being. Reading, if you don't think reading is part of well-being, and part of enriching your life, then I think you've got a bit of a problem. It's the same as music yeah. or anything to do with art. You know, art 
I, well, I hope you agree. I don't know. I'm not being pedantic about it, but uh, or prescriptive. But would you think that art helps make life better? I think so. Um, you have to think about to a that. Limit, to a limited extent, yes. Um, I don't think it can save people. Uh, I think that there have been artists have, who have been dastardly human beings. But at the same time, I do think it has the ability to help people work through problems. In fact, um, you know, I think that it, it helps enlarge people's scope and helps them understand themselves and their world better. But I don't think it's it's a cure-all. It's not a universal that, panacea. That that is true. But yeah. Sharon, Sharon, let me ask you a personal question. If yes. you have, if there is an artist, I don't mean a painter, but someone who it might be, it could be anything. It could be music. It could be literature. It could be painting. It could be filmmaking. It doesn't matter. And they're yes. a completely awful person, but you love their work. Does that give you, Sharon, a personal problem? It does. It does. It doesn't mean that I won't listen to their work or I won't read it, um, but it gives me pause. I, 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 I generally have that in the back of my mind, and it, it is a bit of a barrier. I can't seem to help that. Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm interested you say that. For example, I won't now listen to anything by Pink Floyd because of Roger Waters, who is yes. a raving... I, I just loathe him so much and I loathe what he says and I loathe what he stands for I can't listen to Pink Floyd even though yes. Dave Gilmore is a genius and Nick Mason I've met and he's charming and fabulous and a, a petrol head so we love him and a great drummer but because of Roger Waters I hate them what can I do right. I can't get over that I, I know how you feel I know I, I, Roel, I feel that Roel, way about Roald Dowell's uh, another one I've got a problem with him yeah. a great, yes. right, great writer but I, I loathe his views so I have yes. a problem with him Yes, I think it depends on the ele uh, the degree of loathsomeness, if I can use that word. If they are extremely loathsome, I feel the same way. I mean, if they've said some mildly offensive things, I cut them a little bit of slack. But yeah. if it's really repugnant, then I would I I cannot read them or listen to them. I agree. You see, it's interesting. For example, I know this is a slight diversion, but it's it's about art and it's about well-being as well. <laughs> I enjoy these kinds of conversations. If you take Roman Polanski, who is a wonderful filmmaker, and then you yes. think, well, you know, and even now, because I don't think it's all come out, Woody Allen, one of my favorite yeah. favorite yes. writers, and uh, uh, when he the album The Nightclub Years is just utter genius um, from yes. the sixties, and then you think, oh man. But are we supposed to take on board those major flaws of them as a human being as opposed to them as the artist? Well, I don't think, you know, in the case of someone like Woody Allen, has it really been proven? The accusations no, are all. very... Not at all. No. I don't think it's a settled issue. So I tend to think, well, I, I don't really know, uh, you know, whether he's guilty of the sins he's accused of um, committing. Yep. So... Uh, you know, th there I cut him slack, and I am happy to watch his films. I love his films and um, and his writing. I have a few copies of um, some of his original books of humor, me and me too, me too. Me too. You read them, you think, guy's a genius. Absolutely, just he's just he's just a, he's just a genius. He's almost as good as Mel Brooks. Not quite. No one's <laughs> well, as, no one's as good as Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. No one. No one. Yes. So, how did you get them? As I said, right. 
back to, back to you, but I, I, just, I just like find it interesting talking to artists and how they interpret the world, etc. Um, yeah. Because I've got, fr- you know, I've got like musician friends who have wildly diametric opposite political views to myself. Um, yeah. and, and yet we're good friends. That's okay. Um, yes, well, that's that you're able to be friends with people of different persuasions. I, I am too, and not everyone can. Well, I, I was having dinner on Friday, and I'm going to throw the question to you at the end of this little statement, with somebody yes. who voted for a certain someone in North America. Yes. Of a blonde nature. And, yes. Uh, and, uh, and a blonde male nature, in case you thought it was Hillary. Yes. And, uh, I get, uh, he, and it's a terrible secret. He can't discuss it with anyone. Yes, yes. I've heard that many times. Absolutely. Because they feel they'll be publicly shunned. Yes, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Um, while yeah, I've got a Canadian on the line, before we get back to your book and all that, while yeah. I've got a Canadian, uh, big brouhaha over here in the UK and the media, why, go, go figure, but uh, of, of uh, Justin Trudeau blacking up when he was about 12, yeah. 12 or something. Yeah. Do oh, you see that as a big deal? I, mean, I know he wasn't like, actually 12. I, I didn't know that. But no, no, no. Big... He was in his 20s. Uh, well, he did it many times. I mean, it was at least three um, maybe more mm-hmm. uh, when he was uh, in his twenties. Is that a? I'm asking the question. Is that a terrible thing? Um, Should he be pilloried for it? I don't uh, know the guy. I don't, I don't know his politics. I don't know. I I know virtually nothing about the guy. So I'm just curi- I'm curious. You're Canadian. Very poor, I think it shows very poor judgment. And I think he tried to cover it up and hide it. And because he is known for his liberalism and his inclusiveness and his anti-racism, yeah. it's it's shocking. And it's um, in, in what, it's what I know you think I know you think I'm being slightly disingenuous, but I've got a British background. You know, born and raised here. I'll probably die here. Uh, and and you're Canadian. So yes. we had a show over here that was one of the biggest shows on the BBC. And I yes. don't know if you're familiar with it. It was called The Black and White Minstrel Show. And it was a musical uh-huh. show. It was a huge variety yeah. show on a Saturday night, a massive show. And all the singers were white, but they were all blacked up, like like Al Johnson. That was the whole premise of the yeah. show. And, of course, people now look at it as though this was the Antichrist. It was a variety yeah. show. That's what it was, and you can't look at everything from the 60s with a view from 2019 it's impossible it's also not fair you're not looking at it as no i agree with you i agree with you and i don't think there's anything in principle wrong with dressing up Mm -hmm. even dressing up as as people of other races i don't think it's in in principle but there is a line i've been thinking about this quite a bit i think there is a line that can that is crossed when you dress up in a way that uh is offensive. For who's example, it, who's as a fa- Jewish person, I was fa- thinking, sorry, who's would, I, would, I be offended, would I be offended if someone dressed up as a Hasidic Jew with a long uh, black coat and a beard and a black hat? No, I would not be offended if someone put that on for uh, a costume party. All right, so it's a fancy dress party. All right, so let's, let, I, I find this fascinating. So let's just I say. I would not be offended if someone did that. Well, why, why not? If they, why, why would well, you not be offended? Well, because I think there's nothing wrong with you know, putting on the clothes of other cultures. I mean, you know, it's so, what people do at costume parties. But wasn't that but what he was doing? If some, but if someone put on that costume with a huge nose, mm. then I'd be offended. 
because that is reinforcing a stereotype that has been extremely hurtful and and uh, has led to all kinds of, you know, as we know, all kinds of um, terrible deeds that have been performed in the name of anti-Semitism. So, you know, there's a line. I think that, or if they started um, putting on a, a fake accent and started using certain tropes such as um no, we you know, know we know what the tropes are you don't even have to go down that line about cheap cheapness or whoever knows yeah. what but if that person dressed up started doing that yes that would to me be beyond the pale of course but you, just, mu you must remember that the sainted uh, prince harry who's yes. now who's now <laughs> i'm not even going to go there uh, harry went dressed as a, I know as a nazi I know. <laughs> I mean, what does that say? I know. What, what passed but... through your head? I'm going to go dress as a Nazi. Right? I mean, it's just yeah. like... Well, what? I can't again, even get my head around that. To me, crosses the line. I, to, to me, that crosses the line. But, you know, the, it's like anything. You know, it's the degree to which someone performs an act. Uh, if, if it crosses a certain line, I think it, it is highly offensive. If it's not, then you could say, well, it's just done in, in good fun. So, you know, I think we have to be able to judge these and judge these things and make distinctions. That's something that I think people nowadays don't tend to do is make distinctions. They tar everyone with the same brush. So was uh, Justin Trudeau guilty of racism? I would say no, not necessarily guilty of racism. Poor judgment, yes, for a world leader to have. But he wasn't. He wasn't going to be. Hang on, it from uh, hang on, hang on. But he yeah. didn't know I'm going to be a world leader when he was doing this. He's a young guy, right? Yes, but he was the son of a former prime minister who's always in the spotlight, and he was a public figure. He he's been a public figure all his life. Uh, so in his case, I would say it shows very poor. Poor judgment and also a great deal of hypocrisy because he's the first one to throw people out of his party for the tiniest offense, the tiniest. But and yet he does not apply it to himself. Isn't the schadenfreude really just written huge here? Because it's like you've been driving us mad. with. I mean, you could say you've been driving us mad with your political correctness. That's almost a religion with you. And look what yes. you've done. Ha, ha, ha. Serves you right because you're a pain. Isn't that also, well, there is there, there's a lot that, of that. I think, because people are sick of it. People are sick of being scolded for the tiniest things. So, you know, the hypocrisy is so glaring. I think that's what offends people. It's, uh, yeah. Do you think the pen, uh, wow, there's so much we can talk about here. This is a particular bugbear, <laughs> bugbear of mine, is that we're in, you know, people saying, I want you to refer to me. There's a singer over here, but I can't bear him anyway, called Sam Smith. And he won't be called he or she. He's got to be called they. And I just yes. wrote, well, how much longer are we going to have to put up with this bollocks? It's just ridiculous. There's no such yes. thing as... First of all, it's a plural, so at least be singular. Invent yes. a new, well, it, invent it, it a new word. It defies all grammatical rules, right? Well, you, you're a writer. Tell me. I mean, it's, it's just, how can that make any sense? I'm sorry. I find, I that, I find, that, I find that infuriating. I know. I do, too, okay. I must say. Okay. Do you think but the pendulum will swing? Let me ask it's my let me ask my twenty one year old producer, right, Sam Smith, who you know. His name's Luke Sharon, so he's gonna, you're going to hear him now. So, right, Luke, uh, right, right, Sam Smith, right, yeah. singer. He he says I want to be referred to as they. What do you think? I'm, well, don't forget that it's him. Just say that it's a person. 
yeah, there's obviously something there in his mind that he doesn't feel like he's a man. Um, but then he obviously doesn't think that he's a woman either. So I suppose he feel he doesn't feel. I think there's some sort of something going on in his mind where he doesn't feel like he connects to a certain gender. Um, it's very interesting. I don't, I don't think he's in. I don't think he's in the wrong for. I think. Uh, I think. I think he's actually doing in some ways quite a good thing because he's allowing the conversation to open up about if you don't feel happy in your own skin and you're in, in your own gender, then you have all all the rights to uh, to to speak up about it. Okay. Okay. No, I get what you're saying. Mm. I get. I get what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not agreeing or and disagreeing. I think, uh, I'm just. I'm just, I think it's a, I'm just think very it's interested in hearing from a much younger perspective mm. than me. I think it's very generational, in that sense. Yes, I agree with that. I think I agree with that. Okay. It is generational. I, I don't mind if people ask to be called whatever they want. It's just enforcing it as a law. That's where I think where I would draw the line, and that is. A problem here at least in Canada because Canadians have passed a law now that you have to refer to people by the pronouns that, or at least sorry not in Canada I believe it's just in Ontario that um, you are required to use the particular pronouns so you know what when is, it starts what, is, what, to becoming, does that, what does that mean I know what a pronoun is but ex explain how, how the law works or what does it mean? I, I believe that there's there's now a law in Ontario, at least that, and that's why Jordan Peterson began his whole campaign to protest against enforced usage of pronouns and enforced speech, because uh, he he wasn't he wasn't com um, condemning the fact that people want to be known by various pronouns. He said that's fine, that's their right, but that the law should require people and you know if you don't you could be fined you could be jailed that's where he drew the line and so that is to me a big problem no, the I, I, idea I that the law now enforces it and if you use the wrong pronoun you could be punished by the law it's the thought please george orwell must be killing himself yes. george orwell <laughs> must look down and go I Guys, it wasn't an instruction manual when I wrote 1984. It was a novel. You didn't actually have to follow it. It's just very scary. We're going to take a short ad break. Are you all right for time? I know you're in Canada. I don't know if you've got you know, an appointment with a moose or a mountie or a mountain or molasses. I don't know. But if you can hang on, we'd love to continue the conversation. Yes, right. I'm fine. Lovely. We'll be back in just a mo. You're listening to Men's Radio Station. And and this week, uh, a lot of ladies doing the talking as well, which we love. And people, I remember when we set this up, somebody said to me, "Are you going to have women on?" I said, "Obviously, I'm not going to cut out fifty percent of the population of experts and people who want to hear their stories. I'm not mad. This is weird." On the line, all the way from Toronto, I remember you had to pronounce it Toronto, like it's one like one syllable, Toronto. Uh, <laughs> so you and me, it's Toronto. Sharon Hart Green, author of the book Come Back For Me, not Come Back To Me, Come Back For Me, which is out and you can get it on Amazon. You can get it in bookstores. I'd probably go into Waterstones or somewhere like that in London and I'm sure I'm sure they'd have it. Now, how did you come up with the storyline? Well, it's a bit of a complicated story. I'm not, I'm not in a uh, rush. It's okay. My, uh, time, my time is your time, Sharon. Well, for one thing, I had been teaching... Um, Hebrew and Yiddish literature for a number of years at the University of Toronto. So I was steeped in Jewish stories. 
have my doctorate in, in that area as well. And so I think uh, when you teach writing and you teach um, novels and short stories, and if you tend to be a creative person yourself, there is that underlying desire to create your own piece of art. I mean, I know I was always pulled in that direction. I, as a child, I was always painting and drawing and playing music. I was always very artistically inclined. And so I think there was a certain level of frustration when I became an, more of an academic that I wasn't producing something of my own. So that's one part of the equation. The other part of it is that this particular story comes, I think, from a quest of mine to understand something. And that is, why is it that some people who undergo trauma, and it fits in, I guess, with what you'd say is your mental health. And well-being, uh, we, yes. This theme, I, in a way, my book does fit in with it. Because... It has to do with trauma. I think not just trauma of survival of the Holocaust or survival of war, but trauma in general. How is it that some people survive trauma in ways that are um, healthier than others? And this always perplexed me as a child. I'm not a child myself of Holocaust survivors, um, but yet I grew up among many who are children of Holocaust survivors. In fact, my very closest friend as a child, um, her parents were survivors of the Holocaust and I was in her house all the time. I knew her family very well. And this always perplexed me. How was it that some of these people, and they were people that lived in my neighborhood, who I knew had undergone horrible trials and traumas, but yet went on to live relatively intact lives. They married, they had children, they had careers. And on the surface, they did not seem different from anyone else, other than their slight European accents. And I thought, why is it that some people can do that and others can't? Because I have known people who have been completely broken by traumatic experiences. And I and I applied that in my own mind to other such instances such as um, people who are um, suddenly struck by terrible illness. Some seem to be able to take a very healthy attitude towards it, and others are completely shattered by it. How, why is that? How is it? What makes people tick? And, and how do they survive trauma in, in ways that are healthier than others? And, and it was something that I felt like I really wanted to explore but yet not in an academic way. I wanted to write about it. So that's why I, I, I wrote it, I think, because I, I, I'm very intrigued by Jewish history and um, what happened during the war. And I am very reticent to write about the details of what happened, the horrors of the concentration camps. I only spent a few pages in the book really dealing with that because I, I do not feel... It, it was really my right to write about something that I felt was beyond my my scope. So I that's dealt a very, with that's a very interesting point because how would you then? I understand what you're saying, but then any science fiction writer that's never been to Mars or travelled interstellar that's beyond their scope. But they're right. Absolutely, it. and and I and I, you know, there are some people that can do it. I felt morally, it was more of a moral or an ethical question. I felt that I would somehow not do it justice. It's not that I couldn't do it. I felt I could. 
technically I could, but ethically I felt that I could not do it justice because it was the event is almost beyond our comprehension. Completely. How, yeah, yeah, and therefore the 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 level of evil was so great. I don't know if anyone who was not there could capture it and do justice to it. And I did not even want to go there. So I decided to write about the aftermath, people who survived and what they went through. That I felt I could I could do justice to. I could portray it um, imaginatively and also based but, on and did you come up, Did you come up with any conclusions? Because it's a huge question that you're asking. And it, it's odd, although your book is a... A work of fiction, not the Holocaust, yeah. but I mean the work itself. The, the characters are fictional characters. It's yes, a, they it's are. Th it's themes. Are it, it's themes that we deal with a lot of men's radio station and women's radio station is trauma, how you deal with it, how you survive with it, how you cope, and the family around you, etc., etc. So, uh, it, it's it's a universal theme, not just uh, uh, for novels. It's something that we look at a lot here because it does come under the aegis of mental health and well-being. What can, did you, if any, did you draw any conclusions? I did. Um, I, I can't say they're definitive and that they apply in all situations, but from my own observations and experiences with other people, um, some of the um, some of the uh, factors that contribute to those who survive better than others are uh, honesty with themselves and and with others, um, not burying their secrets, but um, talking about them and being able to um, expose themselves to the effects so that they're not all bottled up inside. That's one thing. That It's not a cure-all, but it, it, it helps people survive better than others. And it, that, that alone, though, is not generally enough. I think the other aspect is being involved in some sort of community being a member of a larger community and having a common goal so that if you're working towards a lo something larger than yourself with other people, that is an incredibly healing experience. So isolation is very bad for people and it's even worse for those who have undergone trauma and breaking that cycle of isolation and involving oneself in one's community and working on something larger than oneself with others is a way of um, surviving better. So you're an author. You look at life with an erudite eye. I've just had two guests. Um, oddly enough, there was an interesting transposition between the two of them. And one of the themes that came out from two hours of conversation with them was yes. that being social, I don't mean partying, I mean being social, having social interactions is key to yes. mental health and they both came at it from different disciplines one had been uh, I don't know if you're listening to the show but um, one had been working in parliament pushing forward legislation and one has a company trying to train training companies how to deal with these matters and getting people on board um, I've summed it up pretty badly but there you go so being social do you is that a, a thread yes you see it's, it's a problem I think it, it's a greater problem today than it had been in the past because people have lost their social community structures to a large extent. Even in Canada? In Canada as well, yes. It used to be that most people had their churches and synagogues. Um, 
you know, all of that has has become has worn very thin for most people. They don't have their natural communities. And so they have to create them themselves or return to some of those traditional communities. It's very hard to create it out of nothing. Now, people do. They have their book clubs and they have, um, you know, whatever else they, they create. But most people find it's not satisfying um, to be able to just, you know, go out for a few drinks with friends after work. That's not really a community. Um, that's not, they're not building anything. It's not just getting together socially. It's not having a few friends over for dinner. It's building something. It's working on a larger project project. In the case of the character in my novel, he becomes involved in in working on building up the country when he goes to Israel and he, you know, is a member of a kibbutz and he is in the army. So uh, he's involved in a much larger enterprise and this is actually very healing for him. It doesn't solve all his problems, but it, it's certainly helpful. Well, it, it's important to have a goal. I was, yes. gonna, I, you know, people say have a hobby. Yeah, absolutely nothing wrong with that. So it's, it's a wonderful old-fashioned phrase. You know, get a hobby. There is nothing wrong with that. You know, no. nothing, nothing, nothing no. at all. Having something which is me time, as well as reaching out to a community. People would probably yeah. argue, Sharon. Well, we've got a community. It's called Facebook. It's called Twitter. <laughs> it's called Snapchat. That's our community. That's who we are. That's it. It's false, though. I mean, to me, that's yes. It it's. It's a frivolity. It it's there are connections that are made, but they're very tenuous and they're not real. They're they're fantastical. Um, and and part of what what one achieves in community is that usually communities such as church groups and others they're doing something for the greater good. They're often doing fundraising or or helping others in one way or other. It's it's not just getting together with people. It's working on a project that helps other people. So it's that helping of other people that I think ends up helping oneself. We're um in very troubling times globally. Yes, globally. Um. And I don't know about Canada, forgive me, I should, but certainly I was speaking to an American chum over dinner on Friday night and the parallels between uh, the United States and Britain are enormous in that both countries are enormously divided with no middle ground. You, you yes. can't, it's almost impossible if you've got differing opinions to say, well, we can agree to, we used to say, Sharon, I'm sure you must have used the phrase, well, we can agree to differ on that let's go out for a yes, drink. Yes, we agree to disagree. We agree to disagree. And that's a kind of grown-up way. But now it's my way or the highway and that is it. I don't know. Is it like that in is it like that in uh, Canada? I Absolutely. should know. For, it really. It really. Is. Yes. Yes, it is. In what what, uh, what are the various camps there that you have to be part of or you or we hate you? Uh well, it's not that different than in the United States because we live so close to the to the border. Mm. Uh Really being uh, liberal or conservative in Canada is very similar to being a Republican or a Democrat. And if you like the leader of one party versus the leader of the other party, people uh, often will shun you if you're not part of their wow. group. It, see, I always think of Canada. Canada's always been, well, if all else goes to hell in a handcart, Canada's the option. You know, Canada, <laughs> they're nice, they're kind. And when you hear this, your heart just thinks, well, where the hell am I going to go? Narnia sort of seems to be <laughs> one of the options. I don't know. Well, we, you know. 
we might be a little more polite externally, but those same dark tendencies, I think, are are the, it's the same thing here as as in the UK and as in US. Uh, it's brutal here. It's brutal here in Britain. Absolutely brutal. It's it's extraordinary. Yeah. I've never known a time you could always you'd always have political divides and so you should otherwise it's called a dictatorship and you should but wow this is i think we're in very very murky waters it's going to have an enormous a seismic sea change but i really yes, do because there are few speeches being curtailed that's the problem one cannot speak openly without being um you know without fearing reprisal Huge reprisals. If you can't even get the pronoun, if you've got to be uh, criticised or jailed or fined for getting your pronoun wrong, we're living in mad times yeah. and, and with yeah. laws run by mad people. Um, let me ask you this, which is a difficult question, yeah. but it links on to what I've just been saying. Uh, your book, um, a part of it is is about the Holocaust. I mean, it features. It, let me put it this way: it features in it. It's one of the yeah. instigate. It's, a, it's a, one of the drivers. It's one of the drivers of the plot line. If I could put it like yeah. that, in a, in a sort of kind of cheap way, uh, not the way you've written it, the way I'm describing it. Um, do you think anything's been learned? Um, that is a very difficult question. Oh yeah, that's the way we like them here. Uh, I would like to think so, but I'm not. I'm not convinced of it. I don't think anything's been learned. You see, I, I'll, I'll be absolutely open. I'll put my cards on the table. I don't think anything's been learned at all. I had an argument on the BBC. See what you think of this, yeah. right? And they were talking about Holocaust deniers. And I said, well, how? I said, okay, okay. And you give these idiots uh, airtime and you put them on shows. Yeah. I said, how would it be? How long would I last in this studio? And I said this in Broadcasting House. If I was a slavery denier and the person looked at what? I said, well, suppose I said, well, I don't believe in slavery. I don't think there ever was such a thing. And they go, what? I said, yeah, <laughs> you sh show me the evidence. And they go, but there's photographic evidence. I go, there you go. But if I said yes. it, I'd be escorted out the building. Yeah, you'd be and I'd never work state. again, and I'd never been work again. So you'd how, never work again. No. So how could you? How could you be a, a, a slavery denier, and then they think you are raving mad, and yeah. you're a lunatic, and we hate you? But you could be a Holocaust denier. Yeah, that's okay. How, how does that? Yep. How does that equate? Explain. You're clever. It, well, that's a perfect analogy. It it just unfortunately unfortunately the hatred of jews has not died and that it's it's um it's something that's permissible in society again to express those it's sorts not, of it's not hateful just, views. it's not just permissible over here it's become the norm over here which has been legitimized and enabled by a leader of a major political party yes i know I know. I don't know. I, if know you, I, I don't know if you follow all of that over in Canada. I do. Why should you? Yes, We're I a little tiny island stuck out in the North Sea. You got bigger uh, fish to fry. Know. We still look to, you know, England as, uh, you know, as a kind of motherland. You know, mm. we we do because we were a colony for so many years, the Dominion of Canada. And you speak English. That's yes. a great thing. I always think, you know, there was a time when there was a vote whether the national language of the United States of America, not Canada, America, was going to be German or English. There was actually a vote at one point. I know. And I know. I always think, you know what, if Americans only spoke German, you would look at the nation in such a different way. I'm not I don't mean because they're German. 
I don't mean that. But if you looked at their actions and it was all done in German, it wouldn't have that kind of... Because it's all in English, it seems so much friendlier. Does, do, you yeah. see, do you see kind of see where I'm going? You know, yes, if, you I had do. Trump, yeah. if you had Trump or Nixon banging on the lectern and yelling out in German, it would be like, my God, I hate this guy. You could still hate the guy. <laughs> you'd still hate the guy, but you'd hate the guys quicker. You know, that, that's the sort yeah, of, that's the sort it, of it thing. It might have an effect. It's hard to even imagine. I, I it, you know, for it's, me, it's, it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous kind of plot line. I just throw, there you are. You, you can do your third. Okay. One. Now. Your next, your next horror story. <laughs> no, I've already got my next horror story. It's all about control. Now, you're on a, you're writing a second novel. How long did the yeah. first one take, by the way? He asked with great interest. It, it took forever. I started it many years ago, but because I was teaching, I kept putting it aside. I didn't have time to work on it. And I kept putting it aside. And then I took a break from teaching. And I actually have not gone back. I took a break a number of years ago. And I decided I'm going to finish it. I was determined to finish it. And it was a kind of a passion of mine. And I did. And um, I found that it was more satisfying. And I love teaching. But I, I found ultimately it was more satisfying to be uh, writing rather than merely teaching. So I am writing a second novel now. If you, that's what I was wanted to talk about. Writing is, a, if you love it, you love it. And it's just, you get lost in the world of it. Uh, so you're working mm -hmm. on a second novel about, all right, you're going to have to, you're going to have to walk me through this, Sharon. Mystical inclinations of a young man in search of love. In English, yes. please. <laughs> please for the simple folk like myself what the <laughs> hell does that mean well it, it the, the novel's actually changed over time so i'm not sure if it's exactly the way i describe it there oh. um but it's about a young man from a troubled background who is searching for some kind of confirmation of his identity and um, for lo the love that he never received at home. And he finds it through pursuing mystical pursuits. Now, you know, um, I haven't gotten to the point where he um, becomes fully involved in some of these pursuits. It's through Jewish mysticism, but I haven't... Do you want to give us a clue what mystical pursuits elaborate. might be? Pardon me? Could you give us a clue as to what the mystical pursuits might be? My mind is boggling here. <laughs> no. Well, Kabbalistic texts, um, trying to seek some kind of truth and uh, redemption through Kabbalistic texts. They're, you know, mystical texts that are part of Jewish tradition. I always think of Madonna. As soon as I hear the word, I just think of Madonna. Oh, yes, yes. Well, she... Which kind of puts me off the whole thing. And yeah, she's kind of a cult figure for a group that studies Kabbalah. But um, no, it, there there is a very serious study of mystical texts that is um, prevalent in some religious circles. And he becomes involved in it, and he thinks this is going to lead him to some sort of um, answer in his life. But inevitably it does not. Uh, but he goes to it almost as if you know a text will will provide answers and um lead him lead him in directions that will provide happiness but ultimately it's a, it's a, a route that 
that creates more problems in his life than it, it provides answers. You see, one Won't the, say any more. I don't think there are any. You know, my great, the way I get through life, Sharon, there are no answers. It's a random lottery. It's just a random lottery. And bad things happen, great things happen. It just does. That's it. Well, and That's it, but it. it's how you, how you cope with it. Oh, totally. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand. How you cope yes. with it is absolutely important. But everyone who goes out looking for the meaning, you look for the yes. meaning. There isn't a meaning. I, that is honestly what I believe. And uh, yes. and we we have such a wide scope here on men's radio station and uh, even probably wider on women's radio station. And, you know, people are searching for stuff. You can get help and you can kind of see some signposts. Is there an ultimate answer? I don't, I, honestly, I don't, I don't, don't believe there, there is. There are many people that claim there, there is. Yeah, there are those who claim there are answers. Mm. But um, there are those who claim they've been abducted by UFOs. Mm. Yes, that's you know, true. Go with that. Um, you know, it goes back, this all goes back to exactly what you and I have just been discussing about politics. I didn't even know we we're going to get into that, but you never know. You throw the, you throw a little pebble into the pond and you never know where the ripples are going to go. So yes. people used to, and also with communities. So, um, you know, if you went to a church, your local church, your local synagogue, your local mosque, whatever it might be, you used to believe in, in, in religion. You'd believe in, in the state because you thought they were cleverer than you, the politicians. And what's happened is... We, the little people, have suddenly yes. seen these people that we were supposed to put on pedestals and look up. And we think they're idiots. They're no, they're no smarter than we are, which is really scary because we don't think we're yes, that smart. We've become cynical. Yes, and, we've become cynical. And, and like, well, who do you believe in? Because in the old days, and you've already touched on this as well, is you would have. Uh, um, don't mock me, please. It, the royal family, which was meant to be the perfect nuclear family. Well, yeah. could you find a more dysfunctional family than the royal family? You couldn't. I mean, it's apart from Her Majesty the Queen, who is magnificent and has put country before, you know, has put her service before anything else. She's incredible. Everybody else, mm, really. Um, so, and, uh, and I'm a royalist. So, but, you know, disappointed. Yeah, that's right. So you got, the question is, why maybe we turn to artists? Who the hell do we believe in? Who do we look up to? Answer, kind well, of nobody. Well, I think we, it's very important to have heroes. Hmm. But, um, but sad, you know... Sadly, Bruce Springsteen isn't running the country. <laughs> you know, we've lost our, our sense of, of, of um, reverence, I think, for those who are greater than us. And there are those. I think they still exist, but I think they're, they're harder to find. And, um, you know, I think it's very healthy to have those we look up to. But most people are so cynical that even if there are those we can look up to, they don't trust them. Well, we, because every time we put our trust in people, we get trashed. We get it thrown in our faces. And politics is the absolute worst. And I don't do, I, we don't do politics on the show unless it's to do with mental health and well-being, because we don't. Not a political show. We can leave that to Radio 4 on the BBC but you know when you're talking about well I can believe in that no we just it's all nonsense we just know it's a terrible bunch of liars and people out line their own pockets in every single way so it, it is disturbing because we don't have our foundations anymore that's what's shifted yeah, that's what has shifted because yes we have no authorities and if you have no authorities then there's no one who 
who stands for right and wrong. And if you have no one who stands for right and wrong, then why follow any rule? Well, this is the point. That, this is the, this is yeah. exactly the this is exactly the point. At the top end of the show, uh, my producer, who's who, who's twenty one, has just come on board. We were talking about the climate change protesters. And you're saying, yeah. why should we follow authorities? My point was, here in London, there's a place called Oxford Circus. It's like the busiest place you could imagine, right in the heart of the West yeah. End, right? Been, they shoved a, All right, so they shoved a boat there for about a week or two. They just left a <sighs> boat, not a little rowing boat, a bloody big boat. But if I park really? on a single yellow line for 10 minutes, I'm fined and produced. And I'm thinking, well, screw you. Why should I bother now? You yeah, can leave a yeah. boat there? What the hell? Yeah. Yes, because no, you know, no one um, is is uh, enforcing any kind of laws for certain segments of society. So then, why should anyone follow the law? It's it's an, well, you see, this is this is this is this is how you end up with with anarchy. That's right. <laughs> As the Sex Pistols so aptly, uh, pre you know, pre saw anarchy in the UK. And uh, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of I do think, kind of one of the things you know. I do think it's important that we do try to find um, those we look up to and and not revere them as gods. Know that they are flaw there that everyone has flaws, but yet that they are you know figures that we can learn from. Apart, there are those who have wisdom. Everyone, everyone has flaws apart from the Kardashians because everything's photoshopped. <laughs> so there's no flaws, apart from the fact that they exist, which is probably one of nature's biggest flaws. It really is. Listen, I, I'm going to let you enjoy your Sunday in Toronto, Canada. Thank you so much for joining us. I've really, oh, well, I've really enjoyed pleasure. it. Go on, pl plug the book one more time. Go on, knock yourself out. Okay, it's come back for me. Uh, it's a novel, and it's available in bookstores on Amazon. And right now, I should also mention that it's being used in schools, too, in order to teach about... Oh, you shoved that in school. at the end? Yes, Why yes. It's, in the that? U.S., it's, oh. been, it's been taken up by the school system, many school systems Bravo. in the U.S. That's fantastic. Sharon, yeah, so it's... Bravo. Well, well, well done, you. That's thank you. I can assure you they will not be taking the gatekeeper to schools unless they want to scare the crap out of the kids, right? So that's it. <laughs> thank you so, so much, Sharon Hart Green, live from Toronto, Canada. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought that's absolutely my... I've, I've loved our guest today. First of all, I want to say thank you because I think he's done a brilliant job. He really has. To Luke Englund. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. You had a speaking part at the far beginning and then you were just running pressing buttons and doing everything. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to the queen of the green room, the most elegant woman in London, um, Deborah Blake, for supplying tea and fruit and just being a great meter and greeter. She's extraordinary. She doesn't get the praise she deserves. Tom Pollard, mental health policy expert. I really, he was really very, very interesting. Elaine Powney came all the way from Shropshire. Blimey. Uh, director of Premier Care Training, which sounds uh, to me, and I've got no skin in the game, so it sounds like a damn good idea helping people uh, prepare for everything for mental health and get so that mental health in the workplace is seen as the same as like if you have a, an accident, get it up with parity. What was the um, and and presentis, pre presenteeism as opposed to absenteeism, looking at the fact that you might be at work 
but you are not well and you need some help. And we ended up with Sharon Hart Green, all the way from Toronto in Canada, whose book Come Back For Me sounds damn good. I think we're out of time, Luke. Is that, is that about we are, right? Unfortunately. We are out of time. Luke, thank you very much. Most of all, how well, thank you to Ebony for not doing a wee in the studio. That's always good. Um, and most of all, thank you so much for joining us. Until we meet again, as I always say, have fun.